Welcome to the LifeCast. We hope that you find this ministry of New Life Assembly of God as an encouragement to you. You will hear messages and lessons in God's Word by our staff and special guests. Enjoy the podcast. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're familiar with because it's the passage that Paul passes on to the Corinthian believers that we all get to glean from by the inspired Word of God. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we see um, verse 23 is where we usually kind of read from about when, what to do when we take communion. But I want us to look at context here. I want to give you some backdrop here about the Corinthian church and some things that are going on and what this letter, First and Second Corinthians, is, is really about. Because he covers a lot of topics, but there's a foundation that why he, Paul, writes this letter and why he grieves so much and gets even perturbed in righteous anger about what's going on and with some of the people in, in the body and how vast his job is, and there's no way he could do this on his own. It takes the Holy Spirit. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I'm going to read a couple of verses here, verse 17. But in the following instructions, Paul writes, I do not commend you. In other words, I can't praise you in this. This There are some things that are going on that I cannot approve of and that God does not approve of. He says, because when you come together, um, it is not for the better, it's for the worse. In other words, when you get together, you're doing more harm than you are doing good. What a sad state for the church. We get together and we're doing more harm than good. How backwards is that? For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. Say divisions. divisions. Say factions. Right. He says, I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized, or you will have differences among you, and you will discover who God's blessing rests on. You'll see the contrast. You'll see the difference. And when you see it, it tells you and instructs you what you and I should be doing so that God's blessing rests upon us and that we should be abandoning that which we're doing that does not bring God's blessing. There's a... To give the backdrop here on on where this is coming from, is if we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 8, um, the letter is really about, though we find a lot of things through the first letter and the second letter of Corinthians to the Corinthian church, there's a lot of topics covered, but understand that it's all coming from the foundation of this, okay? Um, We'll read 10 through 13. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. In other words, the same conviction. Conviction to God's word and God's principles, though we vary and we are different in who we are and maybe our history and where we come from, 
that we would agree upon the principles of God's Word that we make judgments from. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling. Say quarreling. Yeah. Quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean to is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas or Peter, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided, he says. Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? This is the kind of thing that was going on. I want you to know there was four major factions in the church. Now, there were other things going on and other people who could be divisive and all of those things. But there were four major divisions in the church body, in the church um, in Corinth. And there were those who would state, I follow the teaching and am committed to being a disciple and a student of Apollos in my Christian walk. Now, Apollos... He was trained in the, in the Word, and he taught diligently God's Word. In fact, he was quite eloquent. He was a good speaker. He was persuasive. Knew how to sling words together to get people to understand and embrace it in their hearts. It's a marvelous gift that God gave Apollos. Interesting thing is, there was a segment in the church who says they are a follower of him, and they became known because he was, he was so educated and just studied and just brilliant. Now, what, what does, in the, 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 the pitfall to that beautiful thing is that there's a pitfall that knowledge does what? can puff up. That's right. Make us proud. I'm not suggesting to you that Apollos maybe was challenged with this, but what I will tell you is that when you are around somebody like that and you get that information and you start feeling smart, there's a chance that it happens to you, though it doesn't happen to the teacher. Right? So this, this segment, uh, this division, this, this group of the church they were known as the philosophical party. They were. It was information, knowledge. That's, and it's good. But you know what happens when we start to mess with it. We take it out of context or we take it unto ourselves. And so understand that Apollos, trained in the word, eloquent, good teacher, okay, in the context of what we would think is good from a biblical perspective. And he taught the teachings of Jesus. Uh, there is one thing, however, that he did not experience. He did not experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You, you will find it if you um, understand Apollos and where he was. He, he first landed in Ephesus, and he was there, and he taught, and he was with the Ephesus church. There was an occasion where he traveled to Corinth, because, you know, um, the apostles in 
uh, many of those who were in the ministry and disciples of Jesus, they, you know, they, they traveled, they moved, they were in places for a while and would go somewhere else, or they would kind of swap and check on churches and work together. Well, in the church in Corinth, though Apollos landed in a uh, Ephesus, he would make his way to Corinth. And on an occasion, if you will look in the book of Acts chapter 19, I'm not going to read the verse to you, I'm going to paraphrase this to you. You can write it down, look at it on your own, uh, play, pause, and all of that from you know, when this goes on our website this week. And <clears throat> so you can study this and look at this. Acts chapter 19, it says that Paul came to Ephesus. Apollos was in Corinth at the time. Paul comes upon some believers, some men, and he talks to them and says, what baptism have you received? They said, the baptism of John. Now, we know that the baptism of John has to do with the baptism of repentance. Apollos preached and taught the baptism of repentance, confession, repentance unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. He taught it right. But Paul comes along and says, well, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And they said, we haven't even heard of that baptism. Because the one who was there teaching didn't experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, therefore did not teach the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Didn't proclaim it. Didn't pray for people to receive. So I want you to track this. And so, very educated, eloquent man, And there are those disciples who followed him, and they were part of the church in Corinth. There was another faction. Those who said, well, you might follow Apollos, but, you know, um, we follow Peter or Cephas. And now, this group, this group was known as like the legalism party. They held really closely to tradition and format. They knew Jesus. They converted to Jesus, but they brought with them all of the things of kind of the Old Testament Hebrew law culture and observances. And that created a problem because not everybody in the Corinthian church came from that heritage or uh, followed all of those traditions and laws. And they're in the same church body. Then you got a third group that says, I follow Paul. Now they all believed in Jesus. Salvation in Jesus. But they had these teachers and they followed them and they you know, kind of catered to, to them and to what they taught and how they lived their Christian life. And so this third faction that says, I follow Paul, well, they were known as the Freedom Party. Because if you look at Romans and you look at Corinthians, Paul, he, in, in, in his letters to other churches, it was always saved by grace through faith. No works can you do. Don't continue in sin that grace would abound. But those of you who have been freed in Christ liberated, you may not follow some of the observances that those who are religious, that they do. And so, spiritually, you are in good standing with God, but in your personal liberties and freedoms and convictions, it's different. 
There are those who would feel from the legalism religious party, if they didn't go to some event or celebrate something, they, to them it would be like sinning. To the liberated group, it's like, I don't have to go there, or I can eat meat that was sacrificed to idols. It's just meat. There were those who could not eat meat sacrificed to idols because whew, that would, to them it was like sinning. And you got this group now in the church. You had a fourth group. They said, we follow Jesus. Sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah, well, they were corrupt. Sounds good. Oh, you guys can follow them, but we follow Jesus. And they had some poor theology. They believed in Jesus. But uh, they were known as the Jesus party. The Jesus group. And it sounds so good. The problem is, they believed that they were already in this life, they've already been exalted. And so they were filled with a lot of arrogance, which led them to look down upon other brothers and sisters in Christ, and they treated them poorly. So you got these major four factions, parties, groups, all in the same church. <laughs> it's, you know, we, they come together, and, and you know, in, in Corinthians, Paul writes about how the orderly worship, how the gifts of the Spirit should operate. And he comes to a point where he says, listen, as far as prophecy, uh, you know, cap it off at two or three in one meeting, two or three words of prophecy, that, that's it. Let me tell you what was happening. You would have the Jesus group over here. Aren't you glad I called you the Jesus group? <laughs> well, not really if you were relating to them. But let's say the Jesus group was here, and they operated, you know, in arrogance and, you know, not treating people right and, and all of that. Um, and, uh, you know, after all, I, I got to tell you this. It, if, if you look at these different divisions, you will see them all addressed, these groups. Paul writes things in the letters addressed. When you read it, it goes, oh, that was for that group. I mean, it's for all of us, but it was for that group. I mean, th this whole Jesus group who they, sent, they sensed and proclaimed they had a special calling from Jesus. Exclusive. We've already been exalted. You know, arrogance. Not just in their air and attitude, but actually how they treated people. I mean, why do you think 1 Corinthians 13 was written? It was written for all of us, but it was written for that group. I don't care how much you speak in tongues. If you don't have love, you Jesus group, you're just noise. Right? So what would happen and why he wrote about spiritual gifts and how they should operate in orderly worship is somebody in the Jesus group would prophesy during the service. And they would prophesy about what they believed compared to the rest of the church. Slap God's name on it. Now some of what they would prophesy would be truth, but behind it they would also be condemning and sending judgment on the other groups in the church. And when they got done prophesying, 
then uh, Peter, somebody from Peter's religious group over here would prophesy. And they would prophesy from their perspective and proclaim God and condemnation against what was just prophesied and the Jesus group and the other groups. How would you like to be in that church service? It, it, it would be like, you know, <laughs> being on one of these newscasts or news, whatever, if it's news or not, whatever, you know. They're fighting with them and they're doing this and they, you know. And then, then there'd be somebody from Paul's group. And they'd get up and they'd prophesy. And this would go on. There'd be multiple prophecies. Paul just finally says, listen, orderly worship, you cap it off, two to three prophecies, that is it. He brought it as discipline and structure so the body wouldn't completely fall apart until he got there and he writes that. I got more to say to you when I get there. (laughs) All of this is going on in the church. See, the foundation of the letters of Corinthian has to do with eliminating divisions and factions in the body. And that even in our differences, there's a way to function with respect for one another so that we would not be a stumbling block to one another and we would not condemn one another. Because now at that point, we're damaging the body. We're hurting people. And new people coming in that are converting, they're going, what in the world? Do I really want to be a part of this? You see, because they started to function outside of God's order of things, this is what happens. I want you to remember that. Take it personal now. Are there things that I operate outside of God's uh, order in my life? Because when we do, this is the kind of turmoil and mess that happens personally within us. And then it spills out into the church. And now remember, these were people who were converted to the faith in Jesus Christ. They are part of the body of Christ. And this is what was going on. I want you to know, God will judge His children, of which I believe you are. I am. God will judge his children for failing to honor Christ's sacrifice in observing communion, the Lord's Supper, because we fail to honor each other. You want to mess up communion? You want to mess it up for yourself? One of the ways you can do it is by mistreating people. See, the book was written because of divisions, and he covers all of these things. You, you, you could look through, listen, when, when you look at uh, the Peter's group, he writes directly something to this religious group. He, he writes something specifically in, in the letter for, for these people. You, you would find it in um, 2 Corinthians, actually, um, chapter 11, 18 through 33. He's, talk, he's writing to them. 
And those who say who follow Paul, he, he writes to them too because he says to them, you, you can look in um, actually chapter 12 here of 1 Corinthians. And he writes to them about this faction and hold on, wait a minute. Um, he writes about being baptized. It's verse 13. Well, we can go before that. For just as one body, uh, the, the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. In other words, you've got another parts, members of your body, but it makes up one body. He says, for in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. See, we're baptized in the name of Jesus. You're not baptized into anybody else's name. I don't care who your pastor is and what preacher you watch on TV or what ministry you support or whatever. You are baptized into one name. Savior. You're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but they are one. And it's Jesus that we follow. And not this Jesus group who claims special calling or they've been exalted already and are filled with arrogance and mistreatment towards people. So all of them are coming together and they're coming together to celebrate communion, honor the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet they're prophesying against each other. What a mess. This is what's going on. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 2. Now listen, this is earlier in the chapter. So we're putting context together here because we're going to celebrate communion, but he starts out by saying, I don't have anything. I can't commend you when you get together. You're damaging each other. You're damaging the faith. And you're supposed to, this is how you're supposed to do communion. It's all from the context of the beginning of the letter and throughout the letter talking about divisions. Listen. Um, Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions as I've delivered them to you. Now watch this. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. Who's the head of every man? The head of a wife is her husband. Who's the head of the wife? Boy, you did not say that with the same volume. (laughs) Listen to this. See, that's easy for you to say you're a man. Just hold on. Just, you know, you need to maybe curb your attitude and let the Holy Spirit develop the right attitude within you. This doesn't have to do with personality. Head of every man is Christ. Now when he says man here, he doesn't see, he's not referring to humanity. He's referring to a male person. The head of every male person. Every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. 
And the head of Christ is God. You mean Jesus has a head? You mean there's somebody over Jesus? Yes. He himself submitted. Not my will, Father, but yours. It's inconvenient for me. It will hurt me. This is too difficult to bear. Nevertheless, your will. Every man. Jesus, I want to do it this way. This is more comfortable. I like this plan. But it's going against your word. It's going against your teaching. It's going against your will. All right, nevertheless, your will, Jesus, Is he going to go there? Every wife. Well, I don't like that. And I don't feel good. And that's inconvenient. And I, you know, if he would just be more sensitive. And he, you got your list. And some of it, because you're dealing with a man, is probably justifiable. But nevertheless, we've discussed it. We've talked about it. Maybe we didn't. And I'd sure like if you to talk to me about that and inform me or got my input. But nevertheless, your will, head, husband, not mine. And if he does it wrong and out of order, he has a head he has to answer to. And that head tells him, do not deal harshly with your wife. And you are not to operate independently of your wife. Watch. Watch this. That's not my opinion. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonored his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not uh, cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her head be covered. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. Every woman, I want you to repeat this. Repeat this. Male individuals are a display of the glory of God in His image. You survived saying it. Watch. But the woman is the glory of man. You guys choking this down? You should try when it's coming up the other way and telling people. For man was not made from woman. Woman was made from man. Neither was man created for woman, but the woman was created for the man. That is why 
a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now, I'm not going to go into all of that today. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of the man, nor is the man independent of the woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things, all these things he's talking about, are from God. This is what I want you to grasp. God has an order of everything. He has an order. God has authority and gives authority for the order of things. And along with it, he has what we call accountability. God has an order of things. He has an authority for things. What was the third thing? He has an accountability for everything. You're listening, and my mind is going. These are the three things. Now, if you and I, this is why it's in this book, don't get, don't get tangled up on the, the cultural and the clothing and all of those things. There was something in there. I mean, if you want to pull something out, it, it, you want to pull something out, it's this. Make sure that you are adorning yourself appropriately and respectfully in the house of God and probably beyond the house of God in public. In your house, that's your business. I do not want to know. Here's the deal. If we operate outside of his order, if we go against the authorities that he set up, and we just say, forget it, I don't have to be accountable, then this is the kind of church you're going to have. Factions, divisions, opinions, twist scripture, prophesy things that are not from God that include partial truths, all to suit yourself and make yourself feel good and more holy than other people, and create standards for other people that God did not put in motion. They're no longer part. It's a new covenant. I mean, for Paul's group who had great liberty and freedom in Christ, he disciplines them and says, hey, you who say you're following me, you listen to this. Don't use your liberty as some big public display because not everybody within the body of Christ has the same conviction and liberty as you. They're, they're bound up a little more. They're a little tighter. And don't cause them to stumble because to them, what you have liberty for that isn't against the Word of God, I'm not talking about sin here, but liberty, and then they don't, they're weaker in the faith. Don't, don't flaunt your liberties and make it known to everybody because you know what? It's going to stumble. It's going to cause some to stumble. You're setting a trap for them. So if you're so liberated and so free, then be mature. You see, he has an order for everything and authority set in place for everything. And if you and I operate outside the authority and order and we refuse accountability, 
we come up with our own stuff, you're going to be messed up. You're going to create divisions and fractions in the church. And you may not have a group following you. It just might be your very opinion all on your own, and you're trying to sway a few people and acting like you're all mature, acting like I'm all mature. And all we're doing is damaging the body. That's what, this, that's what these letters are about. Quit acting like that. Oh, I better talk to them about what love is. Oh, they're misusing the gifts of the Spirit. I better talk to them about what the gifts of the Spirit are because they're doing things out of order. Say this with me. God has an order. Say this. He has set authorities in my life. And accountability brings spiritual breath to me. That's what those things do. That's why they're there. Listen, this goes from the church body, this goes right down to in our homes, and it goes right down into us as an individual. Listen, you're married and you're just, I don't know, you're fighting and arguing all the time. One of you is flipping out or both of you is flipping out and whatever else. Now, here's the deal. Why live like that? I mean, we're going to have disagreements. Part of communication is part of putting two humans in a house together. They can be best friends. They can be husband and wife. They can be siblings. They can be business associates. It doesn't matter the relationship. You're going to have some disagreements. You're not going to agree on everything. You're not going to do everything the same way. There's times I, I, I know I, I drive this woman crazy. Especially when I step in and Say, well, why don't you do that, or why don't you do this, or hey, can you? And she's been doing it for 30-some years and doing it just fine. And I happen to be home at the moment and observe it and want to give my two cents. At that moment, the man who is not independent of the woman needs to shut his mouth. <laughs> Thus saith the Lord. I want to tell you something. Arguing in the church, you're arguing at home, you're, you do, listen, that you struggle with this. Listen, listen, this, I'm going to tell you why you quarrel. Because something is out of order. And it's making life miserable and hard on you and those around you. It's in the book of James. Chapter 4, listen to this. What causes quarrel? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire something, but you don't get it your way. In the Corinthian church, you want everyone to be like you in the Jesus group. But they're living their Christian life and they look at some things differently and some of their convictions are different. Some of their practices are different. You want them to all act like you and you, you got a problem with it. So you prophesy against them, trying to correct them. And you got some over here 
not giving credence and observance to some of the Old Testament laws. And so Peter's group over here, some of them, they're, they're prophesying against, you know, those who don't observe. In our home, something I want. Want it my way. <laughs> Women, wives, your husband is not always right. Sue, your husband is not always right. And doesn't always see everything. That's why we as husbands should not operate independently of our wife. Wives, your husband should never have to come to you at some heated point and say, listen, I am the priest of this home. Oh, you get in line. How well is that conversation going to go? <laughs> Young husbands, don't ever say that. Walk with the responsibility of the priest of the home and operate within the responsibility. And occasionally there's going to be some contention with it because she's human. And it doesn't always make you right. But there's an order of things. Hey, wife, don't go operate independently of your husband. You are the glory of him. So take care of yourself in every manner that brings him glory. So that he's known at the gates or in public and is respectable because of the gem he has at home. Make it look like he won the lottery. Husbands, you don't want your prayers hindered, do you? Then you better treat her right. Why do you quarrel and fight among you? Is it not that your own passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet, because you can't obtain. The list goes on. So you fight and you quarrel. It's this. You are not operating within God's order. And you are not operating in the authority that he's given you or that the authorities we have to live in relationship to. There's accountability built into this. It's a safety net. And if you don't, you're going to have divisions in your home. You're going to have divisions and turbulence in your own life. And there's going to be divisions and fractions in the church. And then we come to a moment where we're supposed to celebrate communion. 
How pleased do you think God is if we come out of order, not under authority, and we say, forget the whole accountability thing. I'm an adult. I've been in the church longer than you've been alive. I was converted back in 1800 and what, you know. I have served that when you have to start reading your resume, the chances are you're doing all that to cover up something that's out of order in your life. I want you to bow your head all over this room, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says, before you eat the bread and drink the cup, you're supposed to examine yourself. Take a good look this morning. Before you eat this bread and drink this cup, take a good look. Examine yourself. Take inventory. He has an order. And he has an authority set up for you. And the human authorities in your life are not perfect. But within the context of what we're looking at, it's nevertheless their will, not mine. Want to keep your job? You better do it according to the company's direction for you. Want to keep your marriage together? And sir, you better do it God's way because he's over you. And wife, you better start doing it God's way And the way you display it is by recognizing that there's a head over you. His name is husband. You're supposed to have great influence on him to excel in Christ. New Testament talks about women, you're saved and converted, but you're married to an unsaved man. Go home and have a spotless reputation and honor him in every way so that he sees in you this goodness and he knows that it's because of your faith that he too might come to the Lord. That's the powerful influence that you have on a man. How well do things go when you fight against God? You fight against his word. You don't want to submit to his word and his way. How how things go for you in Jesus? Personally, there's turbulence. It's not so good. You're having some hassles. But when you show up at his house, you pretend like it's all good. Is that how your marriage operates? Is that how your parenting operates? Submit to him. Submit to his order, to his authority, to his accountability. We all, all of us, me, 
We all probably need some improvement here. So take a good look this morning. If there's any other sins or sins or things that are out of order in your relationship with God, confess it now, make it right with Him before we eat this bread and drink this cup. Thanks for joining us on the LifeCast. This is a ministry of New Life Assembly of God in Sparta, Wisconsin. If you are ever in the area, we would enjoy the opportunity of meeting you. Until then, remember, God is for you, not against you.